Well, it sounds like in my absence, you've all been having a great time. You've had some good Sundays. The Lord's been speaking, having some good prayer meetings. I think that's wonderful. And the Lord's been speaking to me too, and I've also been having a good time. And um, one of the things the Lord's been talking to me about is faith, which is really odd because he's been talking here about faith as well. This must be the same God, hey? What do you think? So um, we're going to talk a little bit about believing the Lord this morning. And um, I'm going to start with the strangest of stories. It's about a boy I knew who, when he was younger, loved to play tricks on his siblings. One of his favourite tricks was to say that he had just wet his pants. And then there'd be all this alarm and fuss and bother and, and then, and the parents as well, be quite alarmed. And then it would be, ha ha, just kidding. And then this one day, this young youngster announced that he had to go to the toilet, but nobody believed him. In fact, one of his siblings said, I don't believe you, right to his face. And then the most unexpected thing happened. He actually wet his pants. And it turned out, in hindsight, that he did it on purpose to prove them wrong. Because everyone, as it turns out, even little children, like to be believed. It's not very nice when someone says to you, I don't believe you especially when you know you're right. Or especially when you're sharing something personal and you're the only one that knows whether it's right or not. Now, in the case of that youngster, he uh, kind of undermined his own believability by having a history of being unbelievable. You know, like the old boy cried wolf story. Probably all heard of the boy cried wolf story, right? It's a famous story. But if you constantly do things and then turns out you're not right, and you're doing it as a joke or a lark, well, you know, there comes the moment when you want to be believed, but you're not believable. That's what happened to this youngster. But even though that was the case, he was probably too young to realize that was the case. He wanted to be believed and was even offended that people didn't believe him. So there's something about us as people, we like it when people believe what we say. It's almost, when people don't believe you, it's almost like you've been personally invalidated. Something like that. I don't quite know what that feeling is. And um, I was thinking about this in light of God because God likes to be believed. But the difference between God and people is God actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> God never does the boy cried wolf thing. When God says something, he, he's not joking. God doesn't lead people down the garden path and then say, ha ha, just tricking. He doesn't do things like that. Um, and of anyone in the world, he is the one in the, the most likely position to be right. 
He's what, what we say in theology as omniscient. He knows everything. And if there was anyone who was going to describe things that were hard to believe or hard to understand, you'd want God to be describing them because he actually does know them and does understand them. But so often God talks about simple things. But we human beings, we're we're a funny lot. We don't often say to God outright, I don't believe you. And there's a lot of things we do believe him in. Thank God. Like I thought about myself. I thought, you know, I do really believe the Lord. I do love him and trust him. But sometimes I act in a way that demonstrates that I don't. And um, well, well, I think we all do that, right? I think we all do that. And God, fortunately, is so patient that he doesn't get highly offended Now, I'm sure there are times he chooses to be offended. There are times in the Bible when he's gotten angry. There's times he's shown his strong emotions or his strong direction. There's times when you can get the Lord to, you know, get cranky. But we do know in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that it says love is patient and love is kind and love is not easily angered. God is not easily angered even though he will occasionally get angry about something. But it's not without cause when he does. And so we as people, I think, we don't always believe him, or we don't always act in a way where we believe the things he says. I think we think we do better than we do. <laughs> and, um, but I wanted to talk about believing the Lord today, which in my mind is more than one thing. So if I say to an unbeliever, do you believe in God or do you believe God? They narrow it down to just this very simple, believe he exists or don't believe he exists, like one or the other. Well, you can't even get started on a walk of faith without believing he exists. And even the devil believed God exists. So we're not even talking about that. We're talking about believing Jesus, but believing the things he says. And turns out that's the journey of our Christian lives is thinking about what Jesus has said and applying them to our lives, believing them and letting it change us. That's what believing him turns out to be. So I imagine that if if, um, little children like to be believed, then God likes to be believed as well. In fact, we have a verse in the Bible that tells us he does. And it's a famous one. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 and 7. And it says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, the faith is not just believing he exists, but it's this earnestly seeking him. So it's it's taking his words at face value and applying them. And then it gives us lots of examples, but it gives us one little quick one here in verse 7. By faith Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. And by faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. 
Noah, of course, eventually saw great miracles when the world was flooded, but at the time when he, you know, he felt like God was saying, build an ark, it would have taken faith to do that because it's a really strange thing to hear. <laughs> You've, it's, there's no, there was no, like, as far as we know, there was no booming voice or there was no miraculous sign. We don't know of one. There could have been one. But what we know is that the Lord spoke to Noah and Noah believed him. And as a result of believing him, Noah did things like build an ark. And the result of that was that his family was saved. And as a result of that, we're all here. Thank God he had faith because we wouldn't be alive (laughs) if it wasn't for that. And so here in this verse, I think it, it shows us that Believing God, when he says things, pleases him. But it says, without that, it's impossible to please him. So it doesn't just seem like it. It is a fact that to walk with the Lord means hearing what he says and accepting it, believing it, and following it. So faith is a lot of things. And... um, and I know that, I think over the last few weeks, you've had, um, you've all been developing lists, right? Haven't you? I've been developing one too. Well, see, that's another whole area of faith and very valid. And, and I'll talk a bit more about it later in the message. That's a type of faith, taking a hold of God, believing him for things, especially when he gives you a promise and he says he's going to do something, taking a hold of it, praying it through. Trusting him, especially when there's no sign of it. You might start praying for an unsafe family member to get saved and things get worse. Believe me, if that happens, that's a sign your prayers are being answered. It's a it's 100% a sign where things get worse because it, it demonstrates that God's at work in their life and the devil doesn't like it, so he's trying to make it harder. If things get worse when you're praying for something, you're on the money. Persevere. And if things get easier, well, that's a sign too. In fact, any change at all, it's a sign. (laughs) Believe. And if you don't see any change, keep on persevering. So no matter what you do, you just believe. There's there's lots of type of faith. um, But I want to go to the Bible, and I want to show you the type of faith I'm talking about right now, today anyway. The type of faith I'm talking about is when the Lord says something, taking it at face value, and believing him, just believing what he says is true. Because we often think, oh yeah, what, whatever Jesus says is true, but then we act like it wasn't. Because we keep on living in counter to the thing that was said. And um, so there's this story, uh, there's a story in John chapter 6. In fact, the whole of John chapter 6 is very interesting. It starts out with Jesus feeding a huge crowd of people. We'll get to this verse in just a minute. But the background for this verse is that Jesus has got this giant crowd of people and there's no food. And he's got to figure out how to feed them. And um, I watched a video recently on YouTube of a a very popular YouTuber. Some of you might have heard of Mr. Beast. And he opened a burger store. And because he's such a popular YouTuber, people came from all over the 
America to line up to get burgers on the very first date. There was a line of like 10,000 people wanting to buy a burger, way beyond the capabilities of this little hamburger joint, which ended up, I think, breaking a world record and serving thousands of burgers on that first day. But this YouTuber, Mr. Beast, was he was there trying to feed a crowd. Now, this is a crowd of 10,000, but we have a story in the Bible of Jesus feeding a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. Doesn't say how many women and children, but we've got a bigger crowd here than Mr. Beast's crowd. Mr. Beast could not feed his whole crowd, despite how hard he tried with his burger store, cooking like crazy with extra chefs and everything. But Jesus feeds a larger crowd. In the video with Mr. Beast, he is worn out at the end of that day. He is a wreck. He just wants to get away from people. We read in the Bible that it says Jesus was tired and wanted to leave. Understatement. And, um, but then we get to this. And this is the verse that was just up on the screen. John chapter 6, 13 to 15. So they gathered them, that was the leftover food, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over of those who had eaten. So Jesus performed a miracle. There was a lot of leftover food. After the people saw the sign that Jesus had performed, this was, after all, a great miracle. It was a sign. They began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they wanted to make him a king, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So he snuck off to get some peace and quiet. They wanted to make a big fuss of him. He didn't want the fuss, at least not at that time. And he snuck away. So that's the end of the story of the feeding of the crowd. But do you notice how it said it was a sign? After the people saw the sign that Jesus had performed. That's really, really interesting because later on in the chapter, that kind of theme comes back. So let's jump down to verse 25. So Jesus is snuck off, and then they all realize, where's he gone? So they go looking for him. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? He, he had marvelous abilities to sneak away. And um, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Then he says, do not work for food that spoils. You know, the food we eat is just temporary food. It, it won't last forever. But work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? What must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, not to believe that he exists, to believe him. You see there's a very s slight difference there. If it was just believing he exists, then the devil was doing the Lord's work because the devil believes God exists. It's not that. This is to believe him. And Jesus, the crowd is saying, how can we do the work of God? Jesus is saying the work of God is to believe in the one that God has sent, to put your trust in him, to, know the th to hear the things he's saying, to believe them and allow them to affect you so that your life changes. I thought it was interesting that faith is actually 
resting in God. It's actually the opposite of work. So a type of work is also a type of rest, all wrapped up in one. It's very interesting. But even though Jesus says that to them, they don't believe him. So in verse 30, they say to him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? So Jesus is saying to them, I want you to believe me and trust me. And if you do that, you'll be doing the work of God. And they're like, give us a sign to prove that we can trust you. But what happened the day before? He gave them a gigantic sign. But it was only yesterday in, in this story, they have totally forgotten that. They want another sign. They, want a, they are basically saying to him, we don't believe you, prove it. But he already proved it. In fact, God does this type of thing. He will prove himself to you when you're not looking for him, and then he'll ask you to trust him. And when he asks you to trust him, then you're wanting him to prove it, but he's already proved himself to you many times. The sign in the story was already given, and then he goes on to say some really interesting things. You should read the whole chapter. And um, they were looking for evidence. They already received the evidence. What the Lord wants is for us to take his words at face value to believe him, and then to live our lives in accordance with his word. Last year, when we were going through the Christmas message, we had the four weeks of Christmas, and on the fourth week of Christmas, we talked about love. And I gave an illustration in church about um, a couple that had been married. They'd had an arranged marriage, but they'd been married for 25 years. Who remembers my illustration from The Fiddler on the Roof? Musical. And this couple who'd been through an arranged marriage, it's, it's, it's a musical, it's not a true story, but the, the story in the musical was an interesting illustration. And after 25 years of being married, the husband says to the wife, do you love me? And uh, this whole conversation happens in a song where he's trying to work out, you know, we didn't get married because of love, so-called feelings of love, it was just an arranged marriage, but he's trying to work out after being married all these years, um, do you love me? And um, she says, um, you know, you've just got indigestion. Forget, you know. He goes, no, 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 do you love me? She goes, I'm your wife. He goes, come on, I want to know the answer to my question. There's all these backwards and forwards that sometimes happens in marriages, dodging the point. But eventually, she says something like, well, look, I've done all this stuff for you. I've had your kids, I've cleaned your house, I've served you, looked after you, raised the daughters put a meal on the table for you every night. She says, if that isn't loving you, I don't know what is. And he goes, then you love me? Kind of like hopeful. She says, I suppose I do. And he says, well, I suppose I love you too. Now, I've, I found that s s story to be so interesting because we're often looking to prove people wrong when they tell us they love us and appreciate us. We're often trying to dismiss those things because we don't feel loved, we don't feel validated. Our feelings are so overwhelming that it discounts what people are saying. That, like someone else is saying they love us, but our, we, we don't have the feeling of the love, so we discount it. In, in essence, we say to them, I don't believe you. But in that story in The Fiddler of the Roof, which is obviously a fictional story, he says to his wife, 
you know, well, he, he actually is eager to believe it. He says, then you love me? And she says, I suppose I do. So he believes her, even though her admission of love is a kind of a strange one. Well, look, look at all the things I've done for you. That must be love. And I think to myself, the Lord does so much for us. He's given us salvation, given us the Holy Spirit, given us the word of God, a church to belong to, full of people. The Bible does say he puts the orphans in a family. That's us. Here's your big family. If you're an orphan, you're in a family. And you can act like an orphan or you can get to know your family. And, um, you know, the Lord has done a lot of things for us. He's given you promises. He is there for you anytime you're there to spend time with him. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. That's a promise at the end of Matthew's gospel. The Lord's done a lot. But we often somehow miss it all because of, I guess you could say, not believing but there's a lot of things in the Bible that Jesus says that somehow we don't get the wholeness of it. He says things like, um, your name is written on the palm of my hand. You know, you're really valuable to me. Um, he says things like, I have given you authority. You can trample on snakes and scorpions. He says th things like that. He says things like, whatever you ask for in prayer, in my name, it will be done. The Bible is full of things. And I, I'm pretty sure we can't possibly be fully believing them all because our lives would be different if we did. And, um, but, you know, in that story with the fiddler on the roof, the fact that they were willing to believe each other changed their futures. And I, I kind of think about that story because there was no feelings of love involved in that illustration, but the fact that they accepted it as fact had an effect on the future. And what that says to me is, you can choose to believe. Yeah, some people think you can't choose to believe. They think it's like, if I don't feel it's gonna happen, then it isn't gonna happen. You know, I just don't believe. No, it's not like that. You can actually choose to believe. So, for example, you might know that you're struggling in your feelings with someone, but they can say to you, you know, you're really important to me, I value you. You can decide right then in that moment, that's not how I feel, but I am going to choose to accept what they are saying to me. Um, you can choose to believe it, and you can act accordingly, even though your feelings may be different. And so there's a, there is an element of choice in faith, even though it doesn't feel, seem like that would be the case. It's a bit like forgiving people. You know how we talk about forgive people when they do things to you, and some people say, but I can't forgive. Look at what they've done to me. And we always say, but forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Well, I think faith, believing in the Lord, is something a bit like that too. Believing the Lord can be a choice. So as soon as you choose to believe it, it becomes real. But while ever you don't believe it, it's for some reason hasn't become real, at least real for you, yet. So, choosing to believe. There's a lot of things in the Bible 
I want you to read your Bibles. This week, I want you to go to your Bibles and start reading them and think about the words that you're reading, particularly in the New Testament, and think, Jesus is saying this. Just think about it from that point of view. Jesus is saying this, and he wants me to believe him. Rather than reading it as just you've read your Bible reading for the day, I was reading, um, well, I was reading actually an apocryphal book this week. It's in the Apocryphus. It's kind of like in the Orthodox Bible, not in the Protestant Bible. So it's technically not a part of the Bible, I guess, but a lot of interesting things in there. And I was reading this week from The Wisdom of Solomon, which is a book, and the author there said, God did not create people for death. He created people for life. That's a very interesting thing to say. God doesn't want people. Well, what do you do with things like that? You believe it. You think about your unsafe family and friends. God did not create them for them to experience death. He created them for them to experience life. That is the will of God. Believe it. And there are a lot of things. Every, every day when you read your Bible, you will read things. Believe it. Let it affect you. Let it change you. One of the things that, that's written in the Bible that I want you to believe, and it ties in with what's been said the last few weeks, is in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 25, Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins." Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. Now, have you ever prayed a prayer where you just know you're going to get what you ask? Most people have. Have you ever prayed a prayer where you just felt like it's not going to happen? Has anyone had that? Yeah, I've had that too. (laughs) And when you feel like that, that's usually what happens. And I've had a few very rare occasions where I prayed a prayer that I thought wouldn't happen. And miraculously, the Lord overruled my lack of faith and gave me what I asked for anyway, because he's just so kind. And, um, but there's this story in the Bible of a guy that, you know, he had a need. And Jesus says to him, you know, do you believe? And he goes, well, I kind of, I kind of believe, but I don't. You know that story? I I believe, but help my unbelief. You've heard that story? Well, I think for most of us, that's us. And if you really struggle, over the last few weeks, you've been putting together lists of of prayer points. If you're struggling to believe, you can be honest with the Lord. Now, he's not like that boy in the earlier illustration. If you say to the Lord, I don't believe you, he's, he's so patient But what you can do is you can say to the Lord, Lord, I'm struggling to believe, but I really want to. I really want to find that place of of childlike faith. And so, Lord, I'm going to choose to believe you, even though I really don't feel like I do. You can say that to the Lord. 
So make a choice. You might not feel like it. You might be praying for someone to get saved. You really might think there's no hope. That's how you feel. They say, Lord, I feel like there's no hope, but I really want to believe you, so help me. And then pray based on him, not on based on you. Or maybe there's a situation in your work that's just impossible. Or maybe there's an addiction that feels like it's so overwhelming, you, you'll just never beat that thing. Well, say, so Lord, I feel like that thing has got a hold of me. It's impossible. And you know what? Without God, it is impossible. But you're praying. You're talking to God. <laughs> and so you can say, Lord, I, um, I'm struggling to believe help me. So in that process of admitting that you've got that feeling, but choosing to talk to him anyway, that's actually a choice to believe. Even though you didn't think it was, it actually is, strangely enough. You know, like the fiddler on the roof saying to his wife, you know, I believe you. Might not have felt any feelings of romantic, romantic feelings in that moment, just accepting. And so we've got lists. Has everyone here been, everyone pretty much everyone got a list of faith? Maybe most people, I'm guessing. I've got one too. I didn't know that you were all developing them in my absence. And um, Carl and I, we were, Carl joined me for a few days on my holiday. And we were talking about this type of thing. And um, every year, New Year's rolls around. I just, it, for me, my goals and my prayer list is the same thing. I ask the Lord, you know, what do you want for my life this year? But not only that, what do I think we need to achieve? What do I want for my children? You know, what do I want for my business, for the church? All these things, it's your goals, but it's also your prayer list. It's all rolled into one. So it's just natural for me every year to think about it again. And um, I don't approach it like a New Year's resolution where you set yourself these strenuous, you know, you've got to, bust your guts to make things happen. No, I, I think of it more like I'll work away at something, but if the Lord isn't in it, it's not going to happen. And if the Lord says don't go down a certain direction, well, don't do it. You know, Don't waste your time on something the Lord's not in. So I developed my list as well. And then I came, I came to realize, wow, you've all got lists. And I think the Lord is going to do something this year with our faith. And I was thinking to myself, you know what, we need a list for the church as well, right? And I was saying that to Jonathan through the week, you know, we need a list for the church as well. And he goes, oh, I actually told the church you'd be doing a list. So apparently I need to do a list, which I'll give to you next week. But I already had a few things in my mind that we ought to believe for for this church. If we believe, we have his help. If we don't believe, we either get no help or we work against the thing that we want to see happen. I'm going to invite the communion helpers to come and I was um, and to get themselves ready and the band to come as well. I um, was listening to Keith Green this week in the car. I'm, I don't listen to heaps of music, but I don't mind Keith Green. And um, if you don't know who that is, just look him up. And uh, he has this song called When I Hear the Praises Start, and it's a strange song because it's like God's the one doing the singing. 
yeah, a lot of songs, it's us doing the singing, but this song is first person God. He's the one singing the song, and it's like you're listening to him sing it to you. And uh, interesting song, and, and he says in the first verse, obviously it's not the Bible, it's just Keith Green's written a song, but it, it, when I was listening to it, it was felt so personal. And uh, the, the first verse said, my son, my son, why are you striving? You can't add one thing to what's been done for you. I did it all while I was dying. Rest in your faith. Peace will come to you. What a great first verse. Of course, that's my daughter as well. And um, when I heard that verse, um, my instant thought was, was, I don't know what your instant thought was when you heard that verse. But a lot of people, I think, they, they strive to feel like they're saved. I, I've, in the past, I've been through that process of striving to feel saved, where you feel like I've got to be good enough for God, or I've done things that there's no way he can love me and accept me, or um, you've got to measure up, all these types of things where people feel like they've got to be good enough. So quite possibly, this verse is written with that type of struggle in mind. You know, my son, my daughter, why are you striving? You can't add one thing to what's been done for you. Jesus' salvation for you is complete. You can't earn your salvation. You can't be good enough for him. There's nothing you can do to improve what he's done. You've got to receive it. So there's faith needed right there to receive what Jesus has done for you. He says, I did it all while I was dying. In fact, on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's done. So that's, I think, probably what Keith Green was thinking when he was writing it, that whole faith struggle that people have with their salvation. But when I heard it, that's not what I heard at all. (laughs) What I heard was the many things in life we're trying to do for the Lord. There are many things in life we want to achieve for Jesus. There are things in our own lives. There are areas of breakthrough we want to get. What I heard was, he's done it all. He has a, it's, it's like every prayer has already been answered because of Jesus Christ. And it's like while ever you remain in striving, it's like you keep the answer out there. Because when you're striving, you don't believe that he's done it. You, you feel like you've got to pray a good enough prayer or you've got to pray with the right type of faith or the right type of attitude or the right type of words or, or something. And if you can just do that, you'll get your prayer answered. But no, you can't add one thing to what's been done. Rest in your faith. So you ask him in a simple way. Just like when my kids say, Dad... Can I have a cup of milk? Very simple. And the answer is either yes or no. Yes, you can, or no, you've already had three today, that's enough. You'll get fat if you keep drinking milk. So, um, simple request to say to the Lord, this is what I want. Just ask. Believe me, he wants to give it to you more than you want him to give it to you. Because he's kind we are gathered around the Lord's table right now look 
If Jesus died for you, gave his life for you, poured out his blood for you, that's a pretty big indication he's on your side. Right? <laughs> pretty big clue. And um, what he asks of us, apart from gratitude, and by the way, gratitude is faith. Because when you're grateful, it shows you believe him. Believe what he's done. But what he asks for us is to do a special type of work, which it turns out isn't work at all. It's resting. But that work is to believe him. So we're going to have a song. We're going to have the elements handed out. And we're going to hold the communion cup in our hand in just a minute. And we're going to receive those elements with faith. Believing that great good has been done 